Ramping up a new team is a difficult time. Confused and afraid, the early days and weeks are full of hesitation, anxiety, and expectations. And in this state, a team can't perform well. So let's see how a team naturally evolves when you're starting from zero. That's this week on the Badass Agile Podcast. Greetings, team. Welcome to the Badass Agile Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Greetings, team. Welcome back from all over the world, wherever you happen to be listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's great to see you. Now let's get started. I've been working with a couple of new teams lately, and I'm always fascinated with that evolution from brand new, completely green, no agile experience, to being a fledgling, capable, kick-butt enterprise. So what are some tactics to help a team build from the ground up? First, let's remember why we're here. To create an elite tribe of leaders who truly serve their clients and communities by doing what matters and what works, relentlessly chasing value and excellence like a badass. There's so many resources about what you need to do to be agile, but we're focused on who you need to become in order to lead teams. So let's hammer down those fundamentals to create a unique and powerful force in this industry. And remember, if this helps you, tell your friends. And don't forget, you can also submit your coaching or leadership questions at badassagile.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter. So go sign up, post your questions today. Now, a new team, in fact, whether they're agile or not, has certain characteristics. And much has been written about the various stages of team formation, but I'll give you my take. A new team has the following characteristics. First of all, the people may be unfamiliar with one another, and they haven't had an opportunity to build trust yet. Number two, there's no cultural norms for that team, nor are there any rules or operating procedures for this new formation to guide them yet. Number three, their surroundings themselves may be completely unfamiliar which can contribute to a sense of unwelcome change. Number four, many will be excited for new challenges and opportunities, but some of them won't. In addition to this, the organization might fail to support this new team in one or more of the following ways. Number one, they won't give them enough time to stabilize before they begin to have, number two, high expectations of immediate performance. Number three, They might be missing resources and support, and that could be anything from technology to supplies to enough people, clear objectives, and proper training. Now, those are just some examples of the qualities that you inherit if you're leading a new team. Whatever they look like and whatever the conditions are, I think we all understand that teams have to crawl, then walk, then run. They're never going to get the bigger and deeper concepts of agility, much less the practices, from day one. So my advice to you is to begin by focusing on the fundamentals, the things we talk about here on Badass Agile. Get visionary, get focused, get gritty, get humble, get flexible. And recall, and it helps to remind the team of this, that there's no such thing as overnight mastery. You have to meet teams where they are. When I say you have to stand between your teams and danger, this is something that you have to communicate to the executive, to the leadership as well. So given that you're going to take a crawl, walk, run approach, here are the things that you need to do in the very early weeks and phases of a new team formation. First, forge your objectives as a team. 
That can be everything from building a team creed to making sure that the mission and vision are forged jointly with the people in the room. Yes, a product vision has to come from the product owner, but what you should be doing is involving the team in the creation of those objectives as soon as possible. But forging objectives at the product level is not the only way to give the sense that there's true autonomy in the team room. You can forge objectives for individual meetings, sprints, and ceremonies. By simply asking the question, what do you want to get out of today's session? You give everyone an opportunity to raise their voice, have their needs heard, and for them to insist that they be met. This can be especially powerful, for example, during training. Rather than trying to guess what the team needs, ask them. And hey, if you're delivering the training, ask to be held accountable for those objectives. By saying things like, make sure that by the end of the hour, by the end of the day, you feel comfortable with these concepts and practices and that I've answered any questions that you might have. Speaking of training, absolutely do upfront training before you roll, but MVP it. To do a week's worth of training or to send people on a certification course before they get started sprinting is overkill. 90% of what they learn, they're not going to be able to remember when they need it in the team room. So start slow. Start with the basics. This should make perfect sense. Before you teach them how to demo, you might want to show them what a good backlog looks like and how to plan a sprint. Another approach to MVPing training is to teach them a little bit of everything, but don't go so deep that you accidentally get into details that you're not 100% sure you're going to need. You never know how a team's going to look until they start practicing. As a prime example, a lot of teams have no idea what tech they're going to end up using. So teaching them one particular form of, let's say, digital Kanban board or test automation or defect tracking platform doesn't make any sense until the team has come to an agreement on what they need and how that might snap into enterprise architecture and standards. Which brings up the next point. As soon as possible, get sprinting. Minimize the amount of time that you spend in early preparation and organization. You got to get out there and practice. So start with those simple fundamentals. Start with the easy rules. Move swiftly out of discussion and analysis and get going. Listen, things will break when they must. And the quality of an excellent team is that they'll recover and improve exactly when they need to. In order to facilitate that, I would suggest that you retrospect daily, if not more often. Don't wait two weeks to find out what you've been doing well. Check in at the end of the day. Ask people how they're enjoying the experience or not enjoying it. Find out which of the resource shortfalls or technology problems or growing pains are really bothering them and keeping them from performing and enjoying the experience. And then finally, as a leader, you need to lead decisively and communicate directly as a living example. The longer people believe that they can stay comfortable in decision paralysis and deferral, and the longer they can stay comfortable in their old ways of communicating blockers, communicating problems, communicating dysfunction, communicating unhappiness or discontent, the longer it will take to start accruing the benefits of agility. At the very beginning, they're going to be looking for someone to lead the way. So you have a rare opportunity in the first couple of weeks to show them how proper direct communication is done and how taking risks and making decisions in the absence of clear information is done. Now, here's some things that you can say and then back up with action as a leader in the early phases that will really help the team get comfortable and understand the ground rules. These are the values that you as a leader must not only state, but you have to espouse and live them every day. 
Number one, you got to let them know that they have the freedom to adopt or reject just about any part of Agile or Scrum or Kanban that they want. We as a team build agility together based on what works in this environment for these people in this context. But none of those decisions can be made by the team before you try some of them, measure them, reflect on what's going well and what isn't. And that means that you as a leader have to culture failure. We have to welcome it. We have to encourage it. We have to learn the difference between mission failure or total failure and daily failure, experimental failure. There is a huge difference, and the small one prevents the big one. I've said this a million times. You have to remove the consequences of failure. First, starting with yourself and spreading all the way up to the highest levels of the organization. There will be times when the team needs to make a call and the information they need, the support they need, the tech they need, the people they need just won't be there. So we encourage them to roll using the information they've got, using their instinct, using past experience as a guide. And sometimes they'll be wrong. And in those cases, they're going to have to back up, refactor, redo, rebuild. And yeah, there's going to be a cost to that. But every once in a while, because you didn't hesitate, because you acted anyway, you will have delivered results much quicker than would have been traditionally possible. And the payoff is huge, both literally and figuratively. The psychological impact of having taken a risk, tried an experiment, doing your best to buffer those costs and risks without laying in never-ending analysis and second-guessing, that's huge. When you don't know things, act anyway. Lead. Make assumptions. Cheat. Build a straw man. Take a guess. That's the kind of spirit that you want to encourage in any Agile team. The next thing you want to be able to do is to look inward, not just outward, at what isn't working and why. Too often in new teams, especially if there are small failures, people start looking around the room and beyond for sources of blame. One of the most powerful things you can teach a new team to do is to look inward. I read a quote in a book last week, to fight for every last scrap of blame. How would that change the team's performance if each of us were looking for ways that we as individuals could have been accountable, could have done differently, could have contributed to a different solution and gotten a different outcome? What could we learn by thinking and acting that way? Another quality you want to transmit and encourage in your teams is asking for help. Part of the nasty side effect of decades-long culture, in corporate North America especially, of not wanting to experience failure, that when we need help, we don't want to tell people that we're in trouble because we think we might be able to make it to the finish line just in time. But how often does that work versus how often does that backfire? The reality is one of the things that people need to get good at is asking for help, saying, hey, I can't do this. Hey, I screwed up. Hey, I'm not sure what to do next. Hey, I wasn't paying attention. Hey, I didn't do my homework. Hey, I'm confused. Hey, I'm not sure I know how to do this. When the members of a team can look to the person to their left and to their right and say those kinds of things and ask for help, you'd be surprised at how many times the team can scramble together, focus on a singular problem, and lead that individual to success much faster than waiting for them to get almost to the finish line to find out then that they can't keep their promises and they can't get the work done. Which brings me to my next point. Keep each other accountable. When was the last time you were on a team where the members spoke to each other like this? 
Hey man, you said you'd have those requirements elaborated by 12 noon today. We still on track for that? Hey man, those items that we pulled from the retrospective last week, one of those was on you. How's that looking? Do you need any help getting that done? See, if that comes from up above, it looks like we're micromanaging. But when it happens from a team member to team member, it can really change the tone. But keep in mind that some trust and some camaraderie has to be built first. Otherwise, it kind of feels like the guy to the righty is just getting in your face. Which brings up my next point. Know each other deeply. Take the time to care about that person next to you. What does he or she value? What do they do in their spare time? How's their week going? What keeps them up at night? Spend the time to care about the other person, and then it becomes easier to hold them accountable, and it becomes way easier to ask them for help. So here you can structure little games or exercises to help uncover the background, the qualities, and the emotional makeup of the people that are in that team room with you. Listen, by the time you're done this initiative, you're going to know these people so well that you're going to be able to tell whether or not they're in the room without looking at them. You're going to be able to guess what they're going to do next. You're going to be able to sense if they're having a good day or a bad day. So why wait till the end of the project to benefit from that kind of closeness, that kind of intimacy? Work on building it now. Now, I mentioned earlier that upfront training is important. You have to be prepared before you run. But I did mention that if you want to maximize things and get people running sooner, you should MVP your training. Focus on the fundamentals. Keep it simple. Give them basic practices, basic rules, basic rails, and let them run. But that also implies a commitment to post-training learning. So that means you have to generate a culture of incremental, small, and consistent education. Bring in new practices or new principles every day, every week. It's kind of like unlocking levels in a video game. You play for a while, you accomplish something, you unlock and level up. And hey, when you level up, celebrate those successes. Shine a light specifically on the mindsets and behaviors that cause them. It's different for every team, but I always love to celebrate when I see signs of commitment, of excitement, of willingness to adopt agility because that really helps protect against resistance and blowback and dissent and stonewalling. And finally, I think one of the most important things that you can do as a leader that will inspire others is to never shy away from hard challenges. You get to go first, so be an example of actively seeking growth and accountability. I hear great leaders say all the time, give me the hard challenges. Push me on this one. I want to stretch. I want to grow. I want to learn. I don't want this to be easy. Give me the tough stuff. Could that be you? Because for a new team that's struggling with all of the fears and all of the unfamiliarity and the lack of support and the mayhem that we spoke about earlier, that's badass. Folks, thank you for listening. You can reach out at badassagile.com or find me on Twitter at badass underscore agile. I'll see you next time, and until then, stay badass.